This podcast is brought to you by Two More Reps Coffee Beans. Get your two more reps with this natural pre-workout. Buy your bag at twomoreps.com.au. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paul's Body Engineering Podcast. Today, I've got another very special guest and this one, it really excites me because uh, for those that know me well, know that I'm a massive Canberra Raiders fan. So Canberra Raiders are a team in the National Rugby League in Australia um, and I have been a fan of that team, supporting them since I was six years old. I'm now 44. Um, And today's interview is with a former player from the Canberra Raiders who played in the early 2000s. Um, Canberra Raiders number 227, Jared Lawrence. Now, Jared wasn't a regular first grader. He um, sort of came in and out of first grade, played a lot of reserve grade, won a premiership under reserve grade. But what's great about uh, getting Jared on the podcast today was the fact that back then, the, the reserve grade team and the first grade team always trained together. They traveled together. They did preseason together. It's not like what it is today. So he saw and and um, was involved in firsthand all the training, all the drills, all the strategies leading into uh, uh, game day and obviously beyond that. Uh, so I get to talk to him with great detail about uh, what it was like back then in the early 2000s and you can clearly see the difference between then and the evolution of sports science to the sport today. So without further ado, let's get on with it and have a chat to Jared Lawrence. Jared Lawrence, Canberra Raiders player number 227. Welcome, mate. How are you? Yeah, great. Well, mate, thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure, mate. I, uh, as we were just chatting off air, you know, I, I try and get a, a wealth of different people on here to, to chat about different aspects of health and fitness. And obviously, uh, professional rugby league was one of them. You know, having, having been a, a former Canberra Raider player and me being a, a, a closet diehard fan, um, <laughs> it was definitely one to, uh, to get on and chat about. So, if I get off topic yeah. and start talking about the heydays of, of the Raiders, uh, you might have to wind me back. But um, obviously, no, the point right, of it's, uh, even you're right. At, we, we're sitting at 14th, 15th on the ladder. Oh, still, still proud, proud Raiders supporters. Oh, uh, look, uh, it's yeah, it is. It's, it's tough to watch. I must admit, um, I, my kids keep rubbing it into me all the time. But um, you know, I've been supporting them since I was six years old, and uh, I've yeah. seen more bad times than good through that yeah, period. Yeah. So it's not something I'm unfamiliar with, I guess, as a fan. Uh, but hopefully they can dig themselves out. Yeah, mate, that's exactly right. It's, um, you know, it's actually the 40th year, isn't it? The 40th, it is, uh, reunion. yeah. So actually they're having their catch-up this week. I can't, can't make it, unfortunately, but there's a big big weekend planned down there. So um, hopefully they can put on a win. Yeah, I reckon so. There might be some motivating factors behind that to sort mm-hmm. of spur them on. They've got a few changes. Obviously, Jack Whiten's out as well. They they lost Josh yeah. Hodgson in, in within five minutes of game one, and then uh, Jamal Fogarty, yeah. their big off season signing, their halfback didn't make yeah. a, a game. So they've they've been up against well, it, that, but that's yeah. three quarters of the spine gone, isn't it? It, it is. Yeah, and then yeah. obviously with um, Chance not being in great form, we've had Rapana at fullback. So that's that's a major element of your, of your team, isn't it? You struggle with those three players. So it is. Know, it is. Not, not giving, not putting up excuses, but um, hopefully no. yeah, we can turn it around. Oh, I think so. You know, and 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 Jared Croker's back this week, so they're, they're yeah, spiritual yeah. leader. I think he'll bring a lot to the side. Oh yeah. You know, just yeah, that that sure, experience and that. Yeah. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm quite confident, but we'll wait and see. Uh, it's on tonight, actually. It's the first game tonight, isn't it? So it'll be yeah, good. Right, yeah. I'll sit down with a couple of beers and, um, and have a look. Absolutely. So obviously the reason I wanted to get you on, mate, was to talk about your career um, as a rugby league player. Um, now, you obviously played a handful of first-grade games, a bunch of reserve grades, won a, a, a comp in the reserve grades, but also wanted to talk about um, the style of training that you guys did back then. Um, yep. You know, was there any sports science involved? Obviously, they didn't have GPS or anything like that, but pre-season yeah. in particular, because well, I listen to a lot of rugby league podcasts with a lot of ex-professionals, and they all talk about how dreaded the pre-season was. So I'd love to sort yeah. of get your, your your take on what was involved there and why it was so horrific. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. obviously, the, the week-to-week too. So from game to yeah. game, you know, if you've got a five, six-day turnaround, what you did in terms of uh, weight training, recovery, um, team training, mm. captain's run, all those sorts of things. So, um, but do you yeah, want to yeah. just give us a quick oversight on your career when you when you debuted, how you got to the Raiders? Because obviously, yeah, sure. from up here down there, obviously mm. there must have been some connections and links. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, like, like I just mentioned off here, I'll just make it clear that I certainly wasn't a household name, and I really appreciate you asking me to come on your show. I've looked look back at some of you. Your content, and you've had some pretty, um, pretty cool people on your show. So I really feel privileged to be here and, and to oh, chat no about problem. it. Uh, so look, um, grew up in New Zealand, uh, played rugby league as a kid, and um, made the venture to the UK actually when I was 21. So went through all the junior grades, playing football, um, and we actually used to get beaten uh, every week. I was on a junior team that just got flogged every week, and it wasn't yeah, until was. the, the senior ranks where I actually started winning some football games. So. Um, uh, at 21, I had an opportunity to go to the UK and, and um, play in the Northern Ford competition, which was like one under the Super League. Okay. Uh, long story short, didn't sort of work out for me because back then um, you had to have a certain visa and so forth. So I tried every avenue I could to try and um, make it work, but it just sort of didn't work out for me. Um, had some friends playing up in the Mackay comp um, for the Whit Sundays uh, of all places. So all right. made my way to the Sundays via the UK, which is which was um, not bad weather wise. And um, I played for Mackay, um, sorry, the Whit Sundays in the Mackay comp. So uh, that was uh, back in 1999, um, right. 1999, 2000 season. So that was quite some time ago. And look, um, how it all sort of come about, the coach at the time, Eddie Muller, um, quite a good friend with Mel Meninga, uh, said, look, I've got a couple of guys on the side that you might want to have a look at. At that stage, I was playing I was playing in the halves. And I sort of, through my career, I, I never really cemented a spot, if you like, with more of a utility. So I could play in the halves, um, I could play in the back row. I actually ended up debuting in the second row, funnily enough. But, um, yeah, Mel Meninga was up that way, sort of like what he saw, and um, I... I was invited to a, a trial down at Ipswich uh, in the pre-season of 2000 and, and um, must have impressed them a little bit. So then got invited down to Canberra. So I suppose going back to the question, my career was, um, you know, I was a pretty sound footballer as a junior, just sort of loved rugby league, um, come brought up in New Zealand, obviously, as a, as a pretty staunch rugby union country. So Of course, yeah. Um, Mum and Dad, yeah, well, Dad was very much a leaguey. He sort of... Um, I played union for school and, and, and there were, I think it was one year under 15s we didn't actually have a side in the league so I played rugby union and, and even then it was a, a struggle for dad to come and watch because he just, just loved his league but anyway I've done reasonably well at that as well and um, yeah it was um, just a matter of um, you know doing, doing my best and 
um, getting to Canberra was uh, just a dream come true. I used to follow the Raiders, actually, funnily enough, back in, you know, when I was younger and, um, you know, followed Mel Meninga and Laurie Daly and, and the like. So um, to actually get down there and rub shoulders with, at the time, you know, Ruben Wiki, um, the Max, the Super Max. So yeah, the Super Max. Yeah, yeah. So um, it was awesome. It was an absolutely dream come true for me. So, um, yeah, that was sort of my, my career in a nutshell. I wasn't the probably the flashiest player. Just, you know, my game was just around hard work. Yep. And, um, and just sort of, you know, um, being that player that other players wanted to play with, just done, done the hard yards and, and um, yeah. Yeah, unreal. So talk, talk, talk me through the... The Ipswich trial and then the approach from the Raiders. So obviously, contracts and stuff are not what they are to, to not what, what what they are today yeah. back then. So did they offer you a training trial, or did they just say come down for twelve months, or yeah. how, how did that work? Yeah, so there was no sort of talks about money, and at, at that point in time, obviously, it wasn't something I was going to bring up. I mean, um, it, it was an opportunity. I went down to, it was actually played at Ipswich Grammar. There was about, I don't know, 100 players, and it's like, well, you know, how the hell am I going to stand out here? And I went down <laughs> as a halfback. Um, went down as a halfback, and anyway, um, they were a bit shorter on hookers. And, you know, the, the coach for the trial so says, is there any hookers around? And no one put their hand up. And I thought, well, I'm going to put my hand up. So I ended up having a blinder, and they picked two guys out of the 100 um, to go down to, to Canberra to have a look around. It was me and Mick Jack. Um, indigenous boy from Ipswich that was selected um, and actually that night um, it was that transition of when Melbourne Inga was still coaching but they brought in Matty Elliott yeah I remember that yep so yeah back in 2000, 2001 and um, so that night actually Mel took myself Mick Jack um, obviously Matty Elliott Gary Belcher was there um, the reserve great coach at the time um, I forget his name, but um, yeah, we ended up going into the valley and having dinner and, and so forth. And even then, obviously, and, and obviously now, when anyone sees Melbourne Inga, he's you know he's, he's such a big um, name and such a um, an awe about him. And you know, oh, here I was just you know having dinner with Melbourne Inga. That I thought was, <laughs> it was really surreal. So, um, but you know, even then, I didn't. I thought, look, I've got an opportunity to go down to Canberra and. Um, they done a bit of testing, so we went through the 40, the 20, 40 meter sprint, a uh, bit of agility and a strength test, and basically a bit of a look around the the, the, the fixtures down there, and and then went back to Brisbane because I had relocated from Mackay to Brisbane because I thought I was going to be playing for Ipswich because that was the whole idea was go yep. to Ipswich, play for the feeder club, and then if I if I impress them, they might bring me down to Canberra with no expectations whatsoever. Um, I was just happy to, to be um, going from Mackay into the Ipswich uh, team, which was in the, the Queensland Cup at the time. So anyway, uh, long story short, Mel Meninga called me out one one evening. Um, at the time, I was just working as a storeman in, in Brisbane there at a, um, at a warehouse. Had a phone call saying, hey, look, we you know, we'd really like to invite you down um, uh, to play in our reserve grade competition with the potential to obviously play first grade if you, if you do well. Um, you know, obviously we need to see whether you can adapt to our way of, um, you know, you're coming, you know, you're moving down um, from, from Brisbane. Um, at that stage, I think I was about 22. So I'd already been out of home for a few years. And I guess okay. that's something that they look out for in a young player is that how they're going to go moving, you know, from um, maybe a country town or, or even from New Zealand across to sort of fit in with the lifestyle. Because it's not like you're going to get there and, you know, you're signing on for 
you know, huge money and you're going to have, you know, they're going to, they're going to give you a car, they're going to give you a job and all that sort of stuff. It's an opportunity. That's basically what it is. And it's really, yep. and that, that I guess is something that they put out as a test, I believe, so that, you know, how mentally strong is this kid? You know, is he going to be able to sustain the training? Is he going to be able to, um, you know, because I wasn't going down, down there and signing a $100,000 deal. I wasn't a Todd Carney. I wasn't a Terry Campisi. Um, so, yeah, and I, I went down there and um, they ended up putting um, us into a place called Waratah House, which is just like a, a, um, a dorm, I guess, um, sort of a, Sort of like a, um, a backpackers. Okay, so okay. We, we get put in there, get our own room, get our get our food paid for, um, and basically um, get told what time to turn up to training on Monday morning and, and just take it from there. So yeah, wow. Um, yeah. Was, yeah. Um, talk me through. You mentioned the strength test. I'm curious to know what, in regards to obviously seeing where your strength lied. What what, what was involved in that? Was it simple as a, a dead bench and a squat or or, or yeah, what was... yeah, it was a, it was a it was a squat, um, a bench press, and look, Paul, I can't even recall um, the weights, but it wasn't something that was. Um, I think I had to do my max uh, max th- uh, three reps, okay. uh, bench press, uh, squats. Um, I think was very similar. It was actually a leg press, mate, not squats, and it was okay. a power clean. So it was a power clean, um, yep. which I don't really see a lot these days. No power clean. Uh, the power clean, uh, the bench press, and and uh, the leg press. Yeah, right. Uh, and that's all it was basically. So, yeah. Um, and Alex Corvo was was the um, was the strength and conditioning coach. So he just stood there with his with his notepad and took some notes and um, and there you go. So even in the sprint, you know, like it was just off the stopwatch. Um, and I sort of got the got the nod at the end. I sort of looked at Mel and sort of said, "Look, how did I go?" He goes, "Yeah, you know, you went all right." Um, yep. And then I, yeah. Got invited back, so I must have been doing something wrong. I certainly wouldn't have been breaking any records, that's for sure. But um, I, I guess they might have just saw the fact that I, I put in the effort, and you know, even at that point, even moving down there and yep. um, being given the opportunity, you're not guaranteed anything. You know, you've still got to put the work in. And, and I saw many players get to that point and still, you know, either. Um, uh, mess up their opportunity by doing something off the field or or just not tying the line of training and not being able to keep up with with what was expected of them and, and then you know they'd just be um I guess told quietly that you know they're no longer needed. So yeah well um, it was a matter of really just rolling up your sleeves and, and you know um, doing what was required. Yep. So so when you got to that point and you obviously were invited to to go down there, was were you getting paid in any way at that stage? Yeah, it was a $5,000 sign-on. So okay. uh, $5,000 sign-on, which you got up front. And then when the season started, uh, I was playing reserve grade, so you get $250 a week, uh, a win, and mm. $150 a loss. So I was quite lucky because that first season, we, uh, well, all the seasons I played there, we always made the final. So we, we would win more games than we lost. So, yep. um, But it's still, at that stage, I didn't have a family. Um, so it was still probably not enough for me to live on. Um, well, it was enough for me to live on, but for me, I, I early on, I knew, um, even at that point, I, I was never going to be earning the 250, 300, 400 grand a year. You know, mm. um, I made pretty good self-awareness. Like I was a decent football player, so I started looking for work um, and I managed to pick up a job through one of our sponsors. So I not only had the income through the rugby league, which, you know, might have been picking up on a good week, 
you know, 250 plus, if you divide the five grand by, you know, 52 weeks, whatever that might be, it's still not a huge amount of money, even back yep. then, yep. in 2001. Um, I was getting free board, um, you know, getting my food paid for. So I went out and put the feelers out there and Mel Meninga ended up getting me an interview with, um, with one of the sponsors and I ended up getting a job, which was an amazing job as well. So that was flexible. I was able to uh, train um, and obviously, you know, if, I needed, if we were playing away that weekend and we needed to catch a bus on a Friday morning, I'd always been given the green light to go early. So that was great. It was, you know, and then it gave me a, um, a solid income. I was yeah, okay. having stresses of financial stresses. Yep. And um, I was able to concentrate on, on the football and, um, yeah, managed to play my debut that season, that, that first season. Um, it was round, I think, 17 against Newcastle later in the year. A uh, bit of a nightmare game for the, for the, for the team because we ended up getting flogged by Newcastle by about 50. But I think I was the only player to come off the field with a smile on my face because um, I think it was that record, Joey John scored 24 points in one game. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, um, but look, you know, yeah, I was at the at the club that I grew up loving. Um, yep. You know, I was being coached by a player that I that I watched on television, and I, the day I ran out for the Raiders, I got handed my jersey by um, by Laurie Daly, who was another. Oh wow! Uh, you know. How, how, talk, talk us through your um your your debut and, and how you found out. Like, did Mal call you and say, right, you're, you're going to be playing this week? Or, no, or... no, it was it was quite a um, no, it was quite rushed to be honest. Uh, I think I was 19th man, and it was up at Newcastle. Shocking wet day. It was um, raining and gloomy. I was sort of 19th man. I roomed with uh, Greg Wolfgram. He was playing in the centres. And even up to an hour before the game, I I, I didn't realise I was playing. Um, uh, was uh, someone was injured? It, 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 someone went up there with an injury. Might, uh, might have been Mark McClendon or McFadden. I think it was McFadden. Oh, right. He sort of pulled out. Uh, he pulled out last minute. So um, I got the nod when we got to the ground. So um, it wasn't like a big occasion. I mean, it was a big occasion for me, but there was no really hoo ha about it. Like these days, you know, they get the, the, the family in and they give out the jersey and all that sort of stuff. And I guess, um, you know, uh, if I was you know, named in the side that week, it would have been a little bit different. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, it was an, it's an unreal experience, but there wasn't too much of a hoo-ha about it. Um, it wasn't until my next game where I actually got named in the side where it was, I got my jersey uh, presented to me by, by Laurie. Yep. Um, yeah, so, yeah, look, I think what they do now, are, you know, even the playing numbers, like I'm number mm. 227, I didn't actually realise my number until after I'd finished playing because it wasn't something that was sort of presented through, I think that's a fairly new thing. It is, and, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, everyone I played, I had no idea what number I was. Yeah, yeah wow. Talk, talk, just, like, I'm probably going to go on a tangent here, but talk us through that, that uh, your debut game, because you run out on the field, you've got Andrew Johns on the other side, um, Matthew Johns, I'm assuming Paul Harrigan was in playing then as well. Um, no, 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 it wasn't Paul Harrigan, so... This is this sort of getting back to position wise. So I, I went from Mackay as a as a halfback. I had a massive off season, and um, I put on put on a bit, of, a bit of size, I guess. And I went down there at eighty kilos. Um, so I, my playing weight was eighty eight. Right. And I actually debuted. I actually started in the second row. Um, You're right. With 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 Reuben Wiki. So when I went on, I remember I went on probably uh, twenty minutes into the first half. And I um, replaced, I think it was Sean Rutchison in the second row. 
And then I ended up going in the centres. And I never played centre in my life. And I was, I was marking Matt Gidley. Matt Gidley. Oh. oh, my. This team, this team, this Newcastle team went on to win the competition in 2001. They beat Parramatta. Yep. Yep. Ian, uh, Nathan Highmarsh. That was the one he almost got. Yep. Um, but, yeah, Newcastle won the comp that year. So we're up against Robbie Davis at fullback, um, Joey Johns at halfback. We had, um, yeah, Gidley in the centres. Matt Parsons. The big I remember player. Matt Parsons. Matt Parsons. He's about seven yep. foot tall. He's the first guy that I tackled, actually, in that yep. game. Um, and they had the guy Jackson in the back row. Just an absolute big, tall timber of cement. He was. They were just rugged. Um, but, man, I was on adrenaline. I was just, you know, if I go back and look at the video, I don't think I missed a tackle. I, just, I was just everywhere. Yeah, good. Um, it was cool. just unfortunate. When I went on, we were sort of we were under the pump already. So I was sort of on the back foot. Didn't yep. get many attacking opportunities, but just defend them the backside off. And um, Darren Albert was the, the winger at the time. Yeah, I remember Darren. Um, scored the try in the grand final. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but look, great experience. And yeah, it was it was great to, it was at, they called it Marathon Stadium back then. So packed house. I mean, Newcastle, win, lose, or draw, they're, they're supporters uh, that always turn up for their team. Yep. So it was a real good, big occasion, you know, big crowd. And yeah, it was unreal. Great. That's unreal. So let's get into the nitty-gritty of, of training because this is what I'm really curious about. Um, I, I obviously want to get into pre-season as well, but just the week-to-week training, um, what was involved? How much detail did they go into? Did they monitor how you performed in the game um, in terms of you know running metres or tackles you made or anything yeah. like that and then gave you more recovery because of that? Or was it just simply recover, train, get ready for the next game? Yeah, well, training-wise, sort of we're looking at early 2000s. So back then, pretty much your your weights program, your running program was the same if you're a fullback or a front rower. There was no real positional um, yeah, right. programs what there are now. So um, I think sort of towards the end of my time at Canberra, it sort of started to come in. So, um, you know, like running-wise, if we talk about pre-season, we were sort of heavily, I'd say, outweighed by endurance training than what we were weight training you know weight training was we were given um, a, a gym program that would do sort of three days a week and this is what I'm talking um, uh, pre-season here yep. um, and uh, the running was was just 1.5k runs 3k runs 5k runs like we used to do 10k loops around Bruce Ridge as part wow. of the pre-season so um, you know like it was just basically just run, 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 run. There was, wasn't was a hell of a lot of science behind it, I guess. It was just okay. getting them fit, yep. um, get them and make sure they've got plenty of endurance under their belt. Um, and then the strength side of things would be sort of secondary, from what I remember anyway. Um, getting into the to – the, uh, once we started playing, again, um, you know, we, we trained at the Deacon Health Spa back then, which was um, – at the time, Raiders didn't actually have a, their own facility – um, they did just before I left, but we'd train there. We'd meet there in the morning. We'd do forwards and backs. Um, we've actually got an old program here that I dug out. Um, yeah, I saw that. The, the Raiders 2000 training program Christmas. So I went back through and had a look at that. And um, we'd have, you know, bench press, um, squats, hack squats, deadlifts, power cleans. Um, um, they were saying mainly the main lifts. And it was just basically eight to ten reps. Um, there was no real so simple. measurements. Yeah, very simple, very simple, you know. So, um, and a lot of the time, Paul, we were sort of left to our own core, like um, Alex Corvo, I mean, he's still around now, and obviously he was quite new at that position back then as, as S&C coach. 
Um, but it was really one size fits all um, in regards to the training regime. Mm. So, yeah, there wasn't a lot of science behind it at all. Um, you'd have, you know, everyone sort of knew who the strongest was in the gym. You'd always get that one guy that could bench, you know, 160 kilos or who could squat more than the other. But other than that, most of the guys just sort of stuck to what they were given. Um, and 2003, we had Carl Jennings come across from uh, from the UK. So Carl Jennings is a, is, is a um, pommy trainer that actually um, – had a really big emphasis on on power and he loved the rowing machine. So um, once Alex moved on down to the storm, uh, Carl came on board and was huge on the rower. Um, so we would be doing the, you know, the 300 metres under a minute times 10. Yeah, wow. We'd get yeah. the 1,500-metre row. And then what he'd do, he'd get us under fatigue and then get us out in the paddock, start doing 400 uh. You know what it's like when you're coming off a rowing machine or, or off a bike. And then you're out, and, you know. You're yeah, you're just blowing diesel, diesel, and you can't recover. Yeah. 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 So, um, so while I was there, we had Alex Corvo for the first year. Then, I, then we had uh, Carl Jennings, who had come from the, the the UK Super League, and was all about getting big and strong, um, and just packed on a lot of size. We were right into the creatine, yeah. HMB, the protein shake. So he was all about um, putting on a lot of size. But I think. Um, it might have been a 2003 season or two, 2002 when he came on board. I think um, it wasn't really something that was a good idea at the time because what was happening is, yeah, we were getting big and strong, but um, the, um, you know, like the, the game also needed that um, aspect of being able to be fast and so forth. So he put a lot of emphasis on being big. Um, right. And I think if you look back in history, it sort of... It, it, we, the first grade side didn't win too many games early on. So it was, um, yeah, just, you know, his point of view and, and not taking nothing away from Carl, but I guess what it's saying is the UK game was a bit different than the Aussie game um, at that stage. Yep. Mm. Yeah, wow. Okay. Um, so in terms of, so it, it, based on what you just said, it, it, there wasn't any sort of consensus around how much uh, tra- how much training was too much leading into a game week to week, or it was just not, not really. Unless, get as fit as you can. Had, yeah, unless someone had an injury that you know a bit of a niggle, I guess, and and the physio or the doc had sort of said you know take it easy this week, then yep. it would become more more of an honesty system. So that if you weren't yeah right. you weren't feeling that great, you would um yeah there was no GPS, so I know now they've got the GPS on their jerseys. Yeah. Um, that sort of track, you know, um, the, the players' um, performance and, and their heart rate and so forth. So yep. um, at, at that point in time, there, were, there was none of that. So no, okay. No. Would, would they would would could they identify if you were doing too much? Like, would they look look at you on Thursday or Friday and, and say, "Oh, geez, they're running a bit flat today," or they're they're looking a bit burnt out or whatever? Like, could they do that and then try and pull you back a bit on the training, or was it simply a case, no, just get it done? Yeah, just just pretty much get it done. I mean, I, I guess if um, if there was a little bit of fatigue, if there was a short turnaround, I guess, and maybe because being in Canberra, we you know we'd travel up to and back then when I was playing reserve grade, we'd follow first grade most of the yep. time. Even we'd go to North Queensland, um, which was great. I, I don't believe they do that now. They sort of separated into the Queensland and New South Wales Cup, yep. and you don't sort of get that you know that sort of um, the reserve grade is sort of I guess would you know wouldn't feel part of that whole group that sort of come in and out um, if they needed. Whereas back then it was great. We'd go 
um, up to New, uh, up to North Queensland, we'd, we'd travel with the team. The only places we wouldn't go as a reserve grade side was, was to New Zealand and, and Melbourne. Um, okay. So yeah, I guess I take that into account the travel that that we had to do because all the Sydney games. If you're in first grade, you'd fly to Sydney. If you're in reserve grade, you'd take a bus. Um, so they would sort of look at that, I guess, and and sort of take that into consideration. But majority of the time, Paul was just made and just get it done. You know, like yeah, just right. get it done. Mm. Um, you know, I, I suppose the philosophies. There's a lot more science behind it now. There's a lot more studies around player burnout. Um, and I, you know, that's I, I suppose where the game has changed uh, too. I mean, if you look at the game, the rules have changed, no doubt. Um, when I played, it was probably a little bit slower, I guess, but I'd probably think it was a little bit tougher because there was no, um, yeah, it wasn't as much emphasis around the head highs. You know, you could throw a punch. Um, not that I was any fighter at all, but I, I believe that the game was obviously a little bit slower, um, but, you know, the shoulder charge was still in. Yeah, um, yeah. I know, you know, there's a lot of controversy around the rule changes and everyone's got their opinion. Um, and it all sort of stems back to grassroots where, players um where kids you know they want they want more kids to play the game so that's probably why they're yep. changing a few of the rules and they, they, they're looking at after the retention um but getting back to the question look um not that i can recall anyway that there'd mm. be any um you know basically anything yeah, any consideration around that yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah did you ever get into a stoush on the field were you ever involved uh, in anything? No, mate, not really. Eh? No, look, I huh? just sort of take my um, take my aggression out on the next tackle. So okay. I, mean, I was a fairly, fairly um, placid sort of a guy, but I suppose, um, you know, it took a lot to sort of get me over, over the line. But I, I didn't really throw any punches. But I'd sort of I look, I'd favoured myself as a fairly decent defender, so I'd just usually take it out on the next tackle. There's yep. plenty of guys um, that like to throw the punches and stuff. Yep. And at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's them. Um there's a couple um, where Darren Porter actually played reserve grade, a few bit of, uh, reserve grade with him, and he'd love to throw throw it through a few punches. Um, <laughs> but yeah, certainly been knocked out of the game now, isn't it? You know, like, no. there's a lot of pushing and shoving and a little bit of slapping now. That's uh, it. Yeah. yeah, can't can't get away with even you know. I'm sure you heard a few things on the field as well in terms of you know, jabs and, and banter and just trying to get under each each other's skin and stuff like that. And you can't even, that's almost outlawed as well now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, but it was, you know, if I look back at some of the players that I played with, and you'd remember Josh Miller, um, Josh Miller that played at the Canberra Raiders. He was yep. just one of those tough individuals. He was, he, he, his he runs, he'd be like a line. missile, just straight at the line yeah. every time, yeah. Yeah, amazing, amazing leg drive, Josh. He, like, he had size of, he had quadzillas on him and just, <laughs> be, yeah, quite low to the ground and just like, had that real good leg drive. Yep. Um, yeah, Alan, Alan Tung, he was another guy that just let his shoulders do the talking. I mean, he was probably around about my size, not a, not a great, um, um, right about the size of, of Tungy, but, you know, was he, he captain well when you were playing? Um, no, he sort of come on. You know, actually, when when I was there, Tungy was, um, you know, like he, I think he played first grade in two thousand. He's like a twenty one year old, so he sort yep. of featured quite early. Uh, he played Australian schoolboys, and then um, when I was there, he was sort of because um, you had um, Simon Wolford at hooker, and Tungy oh, yeah. was a bit like myself. He had sort of he had, Tungy would go from back row to thirteen, then to hooker. Yep. Um, and sort of back then, sort of probably didn't have the best pass on him, but he was one of those guys that just worked on his game. He would be there an hour before and an hour after, and that's what got Tungy to to captain the club. Was that it was his hard work? Yeah, right. Flashiest of players, but um, 
yeah, put a lot of work in behind the scenes. So, yeah, when I was there, he was sort of in and out of reserve grade, mainly first grade. Mm. It wasn't until probably when he had sort of 24, 25 is when he sort of, his career took off and he led the club for quite a few years. Yeah, right. Talk us through, um, talk us through pre-season. So was it, was there anything like you hear these stories about sandhills and, and military style boot camps and, and going away on camps and all this stuff to, to really, you know, well, back then toughen you guys up for what was to be a long season. What did you experience anything to that caliber? And was there any, any ones that stand out? Um, so when I got there, I, so when I got there, I'd sort of train full time for that period, which was the pre, which was the preseason and, um, they used to have this run, which was at the back of Bruce Stadium, which is now Canberra Stadium, which is yep. Bruce Ridge. And looking back on it, like it was all uneven surface. It was really poor terrain. It was a bit like running at the back of Glasshouse Mountains. Like okay. you know, there was potential for ankles to be rolled, you know. So we would, it was a 10K loop. So we would we would do that um, in the morning and then sometimes in the afternoon, depending on performance, we go back and do it in the afternoon. So um, <laughs> that, that, was, that was just a grind out. We had guys like, I remember Adele Manuel, um, big uh, winger that came across from the Warriors. Yep. Um, he was basically, Mal actually ended up running with him at the back. Like he, he just wasn't, his body wasn't designed to, to run 10Ks, you know. Yep. But it was just a matter of just, that was the, the job. You just got to get it done. Um, yeah, yeah, we had a few things like the tough test and so forth, which was done on the paddock. And it was just a matter of some, you know, stations where it would be, you know, tackle stations and sprints. Um, you know, up and backs and so forth. But it was just a matter of um, just, you know, gritty, tough, um, you know, like when we'd have physical um, defensive sessions, it's just a matter of sort of aiming up against guys like Ruben Wiki, Luke DeVico. Um, you know, like it was it was pretty brutal. Um, yep. But, yeah, you know, pre-season was... You know, I'd come home with shin splints, blisters, you know, but you couldn't show any sign of weakness because as soon as you did that, yep. um, then, you know, like not that anyone would just come out blatantly and call you, call you a soft cock or anything like that, but you just wanted to do that for your own pride. Mm. You, don't, you didn't want to show any weakness. It was competitive for positions, so you didn't want to, you know, show the coach that you were hurt in any way. Yep. Um, but, look, it was humane. It wasn't inhumane. It was, it was training that... Um, I mean, I coach. I coach now, and and I can honestly say that um, our boys get off pretty lightly um, compared to what we used to go through. Yeah, right. In the weekend, actually, we did, in the weekend we did Point Cartwright because we didn't have a game, so all three grades at Kauai went up to Point Cartwright, and it was, you know, Point Cartwright. Yep. We did twenty laps um, up and back, and in the group we had to have tires. Uh, we had a tire and, and, and a medicine ball and a. 15 kilo plate, so we sort of shared the load up and back. I actually did that um, last week, and I don't run at all. I've had a hip replacement, so I'm mindful of that. But often I like just to get in amongst it with the boys and just sort of have a go. Um, and if it wasn't for the last 15 metres, I come down and twisted my knee. I think I might have torn a little bit of a meniscus. But other than that, I kept up reasonably well. You know, yep. I'm not saying not trying to float my boat at all, but I just think that um, the players of today, especially you know in this local league that I'm coaching, I, I mean, maybe if they were put to the test, they'd get through it. But it was very, very um, grueling. You know, yeah. then, and it was just, just you just did it. You know. Yep. I mean, you talk to guys like Adam Mogg, and I, you know, Moggy, um, yep. you know, Chris Flannery around town. Like, if you were to ask those guys the same questions, and obviously they were regular first graders, 
Um, but back then, reserve grade would do the same training. Um, yep. That would tell you how um, how the training has changed a lot now. Yeah, right. It's really scaled down. And I think because they have obviously realised that there are there is a lot of player burnout. Um, you know, it has got, I guess, uh, even though I said before, it was more physical back then, I, I believe players and stature have gotten bigger. They've got, they've, sorry, they've gotten taller, they've gotten bigger. So maybe mm. the impacts are more more intense now oh um, absolutely so, yeah yeah um when, when did pre-season start back then was it because i know it's like uh, early uh, november now yeah so it was uh, depending on how well you went the, the the season beforehand um and it would sort of start sort of october end of october start of november okay so you have that november december so you have a good eight weeks pre-season mm. before christmas Yep. Um, you'd get your break up on the, you know, the 21st of December or what it might be, and then you'd be back on the 3rd or 4th of January. So it was just that little bit of a break. Players would go back home. In my case, I'd, you know, fly back to New Zealand, have some Christmas there. You yep. had to get them one of these programs. So you had to make sure that you, you did that at home. Okay. Um, and then when you got, when you got back, um, there was always the scare factor of, hey, you're going to be tested. You're going to be this, going to be that. Yeah, right. Um, being a fringe, being a fringe player. Um, I'd never got a tap on the shoulder and said, hey, Jared, you better come and do this test. Maybe if you're a, a Reuben Wicky, Clint and Shavosky, you know, um, Luke DeVico, maybe, you know, you might have had a bit of a tap on the shoulder if you weren't, if maybe they thought you'd come back a little bit unconditioned. Because mm. um, they, they had the fat club back then. They, call, they probably wouldn't be allowed to call it the fat club now. Um, <laughs> they'd be too politically uh, incorrect. So, um, you know, if your skin folds were were you know, over and beyond what was, what was, uh, I suppose, deemed as um, satisfactory for your, you know, position, uh, yep. you would then be in the fat, in the fat club. So you. So they took skin folds. So that was one, one metric they used to, to measure your, yeah, your body so, composition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That sort of come back to me. Yeah. Yeah. So skin folds, they sort of determined uh, whether or not, you know, um, yeah, that's, that was one of the measures, I guess, of, of maybe how fit you were. But in saying that, you know, we had guys with quite big skin folds, Mm. Um, that um, that were one of the were some of the fittest, you know. So yep. um, yeah, I don't know whether that was a real good gauge on 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 you know being able to tell if someone was ready to go or not. Yeah, um, right. We always had players that were that were a lot better trainers than they were players, and I, I probably believe I was one of those guys. I loved absolutely loved to train. Nothing. I, I actually listened to one of your podcasts, Paul, recently about making um, training. Training is not a chore. Mm. Um, and, and, and treating training um, is more of just something that you enjoy. And yeah. I've always enjoyed it. It's never been it's never been a chore for me to wake up at 4.35 in the morning and get out into the gym here and, and, and have a go. And um, I think back when I played, there were some players that were able to sort of be a mediocre trainer, I guess, but then just be able to turn it on in the field, you know. Yeah, well. Something like that the coach would – We'd have to recognise the coach. It's the coach's job to recognise the strengths and the weaknesses and what makes players tick. Um, yep. And you know, there was some players there that that you know, they didn't put the effort in. A bit like um, Adele Manuel, like he hated the long distance running. Yep. Um, he would just do the, the bare minimum, but then on the field, he'd turn into a beast. You know, <laughs> so. Um, and I don't know if you follow Adele, but he actually went on to be Australia's most one of Australia's strongest men, YouTube. Oh, did he really? Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's um, he's a powerlifter now. I think he's retired now. Um, but, yeah, go on to YouTube and look up. I've seen you a couple of links. Unreal. He's, he's become one of the Australia's strongest men. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, different um, training, making, you know, methods suited different yep. players. And I think that's why now the game has come a, a long way 
in regards to that where you've got you know certain programs for certain positions you know is, yep. there, is there a need is there a need for a front rower to go out and run 10ks you know probably not no, good um, point. Is there, yeah, is there a need for a, you know, a front rower again to, to be running 100 metre sprints, you know, mm. which we used to do a lot of in 400s? They're probably more suited to the 20 metre sprint. Yep. That's, you know, unless you want to make a break, it's probably the most they're going to run in a game. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Was there any emphasis on nutrition, like to to ensure that obviously you know you guys didn't put on too much weight or you had to stay within a ballpark of weight gain and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, we used to have, that's something that was definitely, we'd have people coming in, nutritionists and so forth, talking about diets and um, yep. and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was definitely a focus. Um, okay. You know, but, you know, then we, at the time, I think Musashi, Musashi were the, the provider of supplements so, and then BSC. So there would always be protein shakes, um, you know, meal replacements, Yep. Um, you know the creatine and and so forth, the recovery drinks, and even back then, twenty years ago, that was still around. Yeah. And and you know that we would sort of stick to that. Um, you know, but then we'd always on a Thursday night enjoy going down to one of the RSLs for a snitty, and and you know on the way home on the bus rides we stop and get burgers. So I mean we're just there was nothing for for me anyway to to, to lose four or five kilos in a in a game. You know, two or three kilos, probably five is a bit extreme. Yep. Um, but just the intensity of the games as well, especially in the heat up in Sydney, that September, October, yep. you know, um, you'd lose a lot of fluids. So, Absolutely. You know, getting a massive, having a big snitty roll and a burger after a game wasn't going to hurt you. Yeah, okay. Was there anything in relation to, because you see the, the players these days, they're sucking on those those super-duper uh, electrolyte things and, and obviously they've got Gatorated hand and all that sort of stuff. Was there anything before the game that they tried to give you in terms of uh, providing, you know, hydration specific besides water, um, anything you ate before the game for energy? Was there any anything, any focus on that? Not really, not that I can recall. Um, I, I do remember uh, one of the suppliers bringing in some of those gels. I think it was like a gel oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that provided um, some form of energy. But look, at the end of the day, just we were just told to hydrate with water and get out there and do the job. There wasn't <laughs> that around, you know. Like, I know yeah. now, like you see players at half time, yeah, sucking on those things. And you've, yeah, what what's changed, I guess, too, is back then we had a coach, assistant coach, we had a strapper um, and a manager. Right? right. Whereas now you've got you've got your coach, your assistant coach, your forwards coach, your backs coach, your defence coach, your offence coach. You've got you know three or four strappers, physio, um, you know, doctor. Yeah, doctor. I mean, there's always a doctor on site. But, okay. Um, there seems to be a hell of a lot more people around uh, as mm. a support network, I guess, um, for the players. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Let's face it; it's a it's a it's a contact sport. Um, you know, they 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 put on a good show for us. Mm. Couch post potatoes on a Friday night, you know, sitting down to watch it. I love absolutely love it. Even now, sitting down and watching. Whether it's Raiders or whoever, I just love it. Yep. And the origins coming up, well, that's yeah, absolutely. Times of the year. Oh, so good. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. I know. Um, so. Playing in Canberra, did you ever? Because I know there was that famous game, and I don't think it was your time against the Tigers where it actually snowed. It snowed. Yeah. yeah. Did you Did you experience any like ridiculously cold nights when you had to play? Yeah, yeah. So coming from New Zealand, I suppose I was fairly accustomed to cold weather. So okay. um, it wasn't something that was, you know, I actually felt at home when it was cold. It felt like I was back home. But sure. I actually remember that game, West Tigers-Canberra, when Leslie Bonacolo uh, yeah. slid down that left-hand side through oh, the yeah. snow. 
Yeah, it was unreal. Was playing, that was the year I was in Mackay. So I was sitting in the Brothers League Club in Mackay, whenever that was. And it was like 30 degrees in Mackay. It was like a really hot <laughs> day. And here we are watching this game of um, football unfold in front of us, and it's snowing in Canberra. Yeah. It just goes to show you the, the massive size of this country. Oh, because right? I think they had to get heat packs out at half time to keep the guys from yeah, well, you know, freezing over. It was just, that had never been seen before. Yeah, now there was one game for, um, that sticks in my mind. It was uh, against Newcastle, and um, I, I played reserve grade. Remember Dane Tilts? Yes, big Dane tall Tilts timber. Tilts. Yeah. So, yeah, big tall. So Dane ended up coming to Canberra, but it was when Dane was playing uh, Newcastle in reserve grade. We actually won the game 4 0. It was just a bash and barge up the middle. There wasn't a lot of um, moving of the ball. It was just a hard fought, ground out match, and it was 4 0. And it was the wind chill factor of minus something. It was crazy. It was actually went down as a, it was a colder game than that because it was talked about that uh, West Tigers yep. Raiders game a couple of years beforehand. But um, yeah. I think Mark McClendon ended up coming off in first grade with mild hypothermia. It was one of those games that was just ridiculously cold, freezing, wow. but couldn't feel your fingertips sort of thing. Wow. Um, but that was, a, I guess, uh, a benefit for us at Canberra. No team loved, liked travelling to Canberra to play. Yep. It was always more of a, a mental thing, I, I guess, for them as, a, oh, I've got to go to Canberra and play in the cold, you know, because it was only yep. two hours from Sydney, but it's a little bit inland, you know, when that breeze come down. Yeah. Um, off the, off the mountains, off the ski fields there, it would just be freezing, freezing cold. But, yeah, you know, yeah, nothing, yeah. nothing during the season, nothing a good beanie and a big jacket couldn't fix, you know. Yep. It was, yeah. yeah. Is there, I, I've heard some stories along the way, and I, I think this might apply more to the, the 90s teams than your mm-hmm. your era, but did, were, there, were there tricks played on the on the visiting teams where they decreased the temperature in the change rooms and stuff like that to, to try oh, and get yeah. them colder before they got on the field? Yeah, possibly. I mean, that might have happened back out at Seaford Oval, maybe. Um, oh, okay. NBN, where they used to have the, the home ground. But yep. um, when at, at Canberra Stadium, it was a fairly new facility. And then possibly, I mean, they had air conditioning um, and heaters in there. So it could have been some and some um, antics that they played. But I can't <laughs> recall anything. But um, it might be just rumours. I don't know. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have been. I don't know. Either. I, I remember hearing that from someone along the way. Um, yeah. Mad Monday. Was Mad Monday a thing back in your time? And, and is there any stories you could share that um, that you can air publicly? Yeah, look, um, oh, mate, Mad Monday. So if you'd played, let's say you played a grand final or, or the last game, it would generally be on a Saturday, um, you know, or a Sunday. But mm. you know, for me, I, I was one of those guys that I didn't mind a beer, but I couldn't back up. You know, like yeah. on a Monday, I'd be absolutely toast on a Monday. So it'd take me, a, you know, a while to get into it. But I guess the one Mad Monday that sticks in mind was when we did win that 2003 grand final against yep. Penrith. Yep. And um, I was rooming with uh, um, Phil Graham and Marshall Chalk at the time, and another guy, Jace Van Dyke, uh, just at Bruce there. And it was, they, they, my house got relabeled as Club Taos. It was on Taos Place. It was Club right. Taos. So it was the go-to sort of joint, you know, after a game, if we'd get back from Sydney on a bus, we'd sort of go there for a few drinks and then hit town. But anyway, um, we won the grand final against uh, Penrith, I think, on the on the Saturday night. Um, it could have been the Sunday. Um, anyway, Monday was meet around at Jared and Phil's house and we'll, um, everyone got dressed up and so forth. And, yep. Um, and, yeah, there was a lot of drinking and, and so forth. But when we were very... Well behaved. I mean, at the end of the day, we had neighbours. It was just like a, a unit complex. But um, yeah, I got a call from Jay Smithy on the Wednesday. So by that stage, I'd already gone back to work um, and, you know, doing my thing. But there was guys there that were still drinking. 
So we had a call from a neighbour next door. It was a Scottish guy, and he used to play his bandpipes a fair bit, and we actually used to like it. So he he obviously let it go for a couple of days, but he rang he rang the club, and I got a call from Jason Matthew, who's the football manager, who's still the football manager now. Yep. And he called me on the mobile, and I was actually at work. He goes, um, just had a call from the neighbour, and um, he was, you know, really uh, gave us um, congratulations for the boys winning winning the, the reserve grade grand final. But I mean, it's it's day four, and the guys are still drinking on the balcony, <laughs> got clothes on, and it was just like so. Anyway, I went round to the club and grabbed the, the Ute from and uh, with Jason Matthew shot around, and we just. There's a pile of um, cans and, and pizza boxes and that on our balcony. So we cleared all that away and just sort of moved everyone on, you know. And I went inside and there was, because I was actually staying at Rachel. Rachel and I was we just sort of started seeing each other. So um, I had stayed at her house for a couple of nights and just sort of let them be. But there was blue cruiser stains all over my carpet. I had to get like three bond cleans in before to get my bond money back after, after that. <laughs> apart from that, it was just basically a neighbour just going, guys, you know, Awesome, you won the grand final, but look, it's day four. Like, how can you possibly still be drinking? Yeah, right. Um, but other than that, a lot of guys used to love getting dressed up. Um, yep. One guy in particular, Ryan O'Hara, I don't know if you remember Ryan O'Hara. He played yep. at the Raiders, but he, he thought that Monday was bigger than Christmas. He used to absolutely just live for it. And, um, yeah, it was just a bit of fun, I guess. I mean, there, there has been some... Mad Mondays, I guess, over the last few years, and now that social media is more prominent and mm. media, you know, sort of always want to get a story, it, it's sort of it's, the spice has been taken off the, the Mad Mondays, I guess, yes, yeah. some the, and some of the antics. But at, at the end of the day, most of it's just all good fun, and it's just a group of blokes that just want to sort of unwind, I guess, and let their hair down a little bit after a tough season. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, cool. That's cool. Um, one other question I wanted to ask you, and, and I, I didn't prelude to this, was when, when you retired, um, and, and I hear this story a lot from, from players, um, you know, because you, you, you play every weekend for, you know, 26 rounds or whatever it is. Obviously, you, you're structured in the way you train. You know where to be. You know what to do. And then retirement comes along, and there's that element of feeling lost. Um, did you experience that, or did, were you settled in your decision when it happened? And then, you know, you obviously had a career to move on to afterwards. So there wasn't that element of what do I do now, or the structure was yeah, taken yeah. away. You know, I, I suppose I knew early on, like I mentioned earlier, regarding um, where I sort of sat with rugby league. So I was fortunate enough to, to play in RL, which was amazing. And I knew, though, that it was not going to provide you know, for my family long-term because I was, you know, probably over my career of seven years at the Raiders, I probably earned less than 80 grand over that time. But it was more the fact that I was just given that opportunity and I was rubbing shoulders with eight Raiders and so forth. So I got a job, like I mentioned before, for um, one of the the, uh, sponsors that I was selling photocopiers to the government. So I got an unbelievable opportunity to to walk into a job where I was given, I think it was a 40K retainer, um, a car allowance, which was about 12 grand a year, plus an uncapped commission. So in my first 12 months of being there, although I was the world's worst salesman, I just learned. Um, I just I learned the role and I earned 100K in my first year. So by the time I finished playing, I was getting closer to that 200K per annum as a, as a job, you know. So yep. um, for me, transitioning to life after football, um, I sort of had the best of both worlds. I was able to, to play the game, at a, I guess, at a reasonably high level, but at the same time, um, start a career in, in sales and, and sort of move on from that. And that's 
where I sort of got onto starting my own businesses. But yeah, there's a lot of players that do suffer, Paul, you know, and I still see it now. And I guess the clubs, and not just in rugby league, sporting in general, yes. are providing a lot more pathways for players and just, you know, there's apprenticeships. Um, and I suppose where I sort of feel, look back on and think where I made a good decision is that I managed to leverage off some of those sponsors and without taking them for granted, I was given an opportunity by them. There was no promises. Um, and there's a couple of times, especially in the early days in my sales role, where I think the head office in Sydney wanted to pull the pin and get rid of me. But my my boss at the time, uh, Nanette Back, who's a, amazing, she was like a second mother to me, actually. She stuck with me and yep. really gave me the, the backing. And it, thankfully, it sort of it pulled through for me. But, um, but there's a lot of players that, yeah, do put all the eggs in one basket. And I guess just want to be rugby league players they want to they don't think about the life after football and let's mm. face it if you play you know, if you play till you're 30 um and you've got a potentially another 50 years if you want to live to 80 60 years if you live to 90 you've yep. got that you know which is three times you know if you get to 30 there's another you know 60 30 years 60 years if you get to 90 you know, my maths is terrible but yep. what i'm trying to say is that You've got a long, long time to go. A long, yeah. long time to go. So you really need to establish some form of interest outside of the game. Um, and even with that, my um, I left school at quite an early age. I didn't have a lot of um, certificates or I didn't study, um, but I had a lot of experience. I guess even before I got to, to Canberra with you know different roles. So yep. I had a, a, a different roles in different industries. So. Um, yeah, but looking at some players and, and that lost feeling, there's a lot of mental health that sets in. Yes. Um, and, yes. you know, a lot of players that were on that sort of, I guess, two, three, four percent um, of, you know, you, you think looking sort of 500k plus come back down to having to get a day job where they might be on 80 grand, 100 grand. How do they adapt to that? How do they yep. go from getting 500k per annum? Um, unless they've invested it well, unless they've had good advice. Um, you know, um, and hopefully a lot of them do. Mm. Um, but if you don't, um, then you could be, you know, into a rude shop. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, that's a good point. I, I guess particularly today with, like you said, social media, so much more TV exposure, that the higher profile, higher paid players must feel so much pressure to perform each and every week. And if they don't, you know, it can really impact your headspace I'm assuming you know back then obviously there wasn't a million dollar player there was today but there was still you know I think um, Terry Campisi signed five years for half a million a year or, or something along those lines yeah. so there's still a lot of money um, yeah. but then there's the expectation that you need to obviously perform each and every week yeah yeah that's right I think the salary cap back when I was playing for the whole 20 top 25 might have been about four million I think it's up to 10 million now it usually it is yeah about 500k Every year, yep. so um, and talking about Terry Campisi, he's one of those um, great examples of what he's done uh, through his career. He had the Terry Foundation, yep. uh, Terry Campisi Foundation, where he raises a lot of money for charities. Um, so there's there's guys like that that obviously have had good people around them that have sort mm. of said, "Hey, look, you need to sort of prepare for later on." And I think it's becoming more and more. Fo- there's a more and more focus on it, um, but certainly, you know, and and look for fringe players too. So even guys that, I mean, I sort of call myself a fringe player, but I was more of a reserve grade player, to be honest. But the guys that are sort of in and out of first grade, they're, they're in the top 25 or the top 30. Yep. And they might be on in 120 grand a year, um, which, you know, it's not a bad money. But then, you know, at the end of the day, once they finish their career, they haven't really made a hell of a lot of money 
over, you know, over that course of that time. And then That's right. the regular, regular career is very short. Mm. Um, I mean, how many go into media? You might have, you know, your, your Cameron Smiths, your Jonathan Thurston's, or, you know, Brayton Astor, they'll, they'll land a Fox deal um, yep. and, or a Channel 9 deal. And then, you know, uh, if you go right back to like Fatty Borden and those guys, like a lot of them are starting to fade out now because the, the, the junior or the player, sorry, the people today, the, um, the younger players, that they don't even know who Fatty Borden is. Or, yeah. So you wonder how long will that last? How long will, you know, I'm looking at, the panel now, there's probably guys like Brayton Astor and, um, and, and, you know, Thurston that will probably be around for a long, long time. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, when, when you're playing, you just don't think of that stuff. You know, mm. all you're thinking about is just getting out there playing footy and you're not thinking of down the track. It's a bit like, I guess, people that are in a normal job, you know, who thinks about retirement? When do you start thinking about retirement and getting your pension? You know, yeah. I know now I'm, I'm 44, coming up 45. It's certainly something that I'm thinking about, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. When you're a, when you're a player and you just um, you know playing the game that you love, uh, whether it be rugby league or any sport, I, I don't think it's always front of mind, is it? No, it wouldn't be. No, good point. Um, all right, let's uh, let's shift and, and and start to wind things up, so I don't take up much more of your time. But um, obviously, you're still involved in rugby league. You're coaching the Kawana Dolphins. Um, are you are you first grade coach, or are you just across all three grades? No, so coaching was something that never really appealed to me. I never really thought too much about it. But um, yep. when we moved up the sunny coast, Rachel enrolled my younger son, Billy, at the time. Mm. He was six. Went down to the Kiwana Shopping World and enrolled Billy. And little did I know that told the guys down there that, you know, I'd be interested in coaching. So I've rocked up to, to the first first session down at Kiwana, um, Nicklin Way there. And um, Billy's name got called out. Yeah, Billy Lawrence, under seven Maroons. And then, oh, Jared Lawrence coach. So I was given a football <laughs> by uh, Darren Fraser at the time, who was the, the president. And here I had, you know, 12 kids running around like headless chooks. You know, how the hell am I going to do this? But best thing I could have ever done or Rachel could have done for me because um, I'm a bit of a workaholic. And yep. if I wasn't, if I didn't have that time away from the businesses, I would probably just be working. Right. So um, I just... Thoroughly enjoyed it. I've I've, tra- I've coached the under sevens right up until uh, they're under 18s now. So although players have come and gone, um, and I'm into my second year of 18s. So Billy, my eldest son, is uh, after this year he'll go into seniors. But yeah, absolutely love it, and it's a way of me giving back because although I I you know I didn't earn millions of dollars playing the game, I feel that I got much more than that money. The money side of it, I got. Um, you know, I was able to all the all the pathways that I ended up taking for rugby league were through connections. Like, uh, sorry, through business were, yep. were connections through the game. You know, so um, you know, I left school with didn't even get high school certificate, uh, and then managed to you know get into some roles um, through people I met through the game. You know, and, that, and that's yeah, well. where they're the young people now. It says if you've got uh, if someone asks you from the club to go and mix with the sponsors, or you're asked to go and go and visit a school and do something like that, do it. Don't look at it as a chore and something that, oh, God, do I have to go and do that? Because you don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know mm. who's going to be at that meeting. You don't know who's going to be um, at that function because it could be someone that loves the game of rugby league, wants to talk about it and goes, hey, what do you think about this after you finish playing? Would you be interested in this sales role? You know, would you be interested in doing this? And and I think that's what people need to, the players need to look at um, yep. and try and leverage with that. Because that's, you know, everything that I have got in my life right now. Even Rachel, I met Rachel down in Canberra. So everything I have now, I owe to the game. Yeah, right. Absolutely. 
say, oh, well, all they coaching, people ask me, are oh, you interested in doing A grade or interested in getting involved with an NRL club? No, I'm not. I love the grassroots. Sure. I've helped the kids and um, I'll always give, give back in some way, shape or form. We sponsor, sponsor the club, um, you know, through, um, in, you know, giving a bit of money here and there to, yep. to help kids get, get playing equipment, you know, jerseys and yep. so forth. So, yeah, I'm gonna, that, that won't stop. Unreal, mate. Unreal. That's fantastic. And um, just quickly talk about obviously you, you, one of your main businesses being Well Wipes. Just give it a, a quick plug. You, you're obviously in gyms all across Australia. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. So uh, when we left Canberra, we got into the we got into the fitness industry. So fitness was always something I enjoyed, um, but I was never a PT like yourself. I'd never mm. done the courses and so forth. We purchased the Anytime Fitness franchise, so we had Anytime Fitness Caboolture in Caramundi, and um, at the time. Uh, as a franchise group, you'd be given, you know, a list of products that you'd buy, and we we're paying ridiculous amounts for these wipes. And I sort of thought to myself, uh, maybe there's some, you know, other options out there. So, long story short, I became a distributor. Um, a business, my business partner, who's still my business partner today, Rob, and I became a distributor of a product from the US, and then um, we started out of his garage in Mount Gravatt back in 2010, I think it was. So we're into our 11th or 12th year in business now. So it started as a garage business. And yep. sort of grew from there. But now we've got um, locations in all major cities. So we warehouse all those goods and yeah, got an online store and supply gyms, supermarkets, uh, offices, um, kindergartens and so forth. So it's been our full-time gig. Um, work from home here. This is my office at home, but visit our warehouses every now and then. So it's been a great business. It's been a real eye-opener. Um, certainly had its challenges, especially recently with the COVID and being of course being able to sort the product and so forth. But yeah, it's great. Unreal, mate. Unreal. Well, we'll wind it up, mate. Thank you so much for your time. That, that's I, I could chat about the Raiders forever, honestly. It, it, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, I it's, feel that maybe yeah, probably made. There's probably more that we could talk about, but um, we'll have to catch up at some stage. There's there's so much there and so many memories, and I'm just so grateful to be able to sort of sit back and go, well, you know, you know. Um, played at camera, rubbed my shoulders with like Ruben Wiki. Yeah. Um, Kenny Nagus. You know, Kenny, Kenny Nagus. How good. Yeah, Kenny Nagus. He was still there then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. And, and, and the big thing for me is, is giving back, giving back yep. the game and, and, um, because I got so much out of it. What do you kids think about, um, you being a, a, a Raider back then and obviously playing with some of those players? Are they, are they cool or they don't care or? What's no, the... I don't really care too much about it. No, <laughs> Jed, he's got a couple of photos up there. So I've coached Jed a couple of times. He's more of a basketballer now, my youngest boy. He's sort of yep. out of love of the league, which is completely fine with me. Um, but he's got a couple of photos up there. But um, no, no, that is, I mean, yeah, comes up in conversation every now and then. Yeah, okay. Um, when you, obviously the grand final in 2003 was a big, um, memory for me, but I played in a, a semi final in 2004 against the Roosters, and Billy was born that week, so um, it was an awesome um, week because it was Reuben Wickie's last game in a, in a Raiders jersey. Yep. Um, we ended up losing um, quite a fair bit, but it was one versus eight, and it was Freddie Fittler's last game. Oh, I remember that so, game. That was back in the old McIntyre system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, so one played eight. Yeah. So I started that game because. Um, uh, who was it suspended? Um, someone also got suspended. So I actually, it was my first run out game. And it, was, it was the last game I played in first grade. So I retired a little bit after that. But yeah, you had, you know, Luke Rickardson, um, Fitzgibbon, you know, Craig Wing, um, you know, Adrian Morley. Yeah, wow. Um, you know, yeah, it was a star-studded side. So 
Um, yeah, yeah. But Ruben Wookie's last game, he, he pretty much played with a broken foot. Yeah, right. That's how tough he is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've heard that. I heard he's, he's just a machine, was a machine. Yeah, still is. Um, yeah. yeah. So j- just to finish, mate, um, I ask everyone this question, and that's who you, you'd invite to dinner. So, you know, sort of a, a bit of a take on your, your personality. So who would you have over for a, a meal? Um, could be alive or dead, male, female, fictional, non-fictional, someone that you'd um, you'd like yeah. to have a chat with and, and just a good uh, a good feed. Mate, look, I, I actually struggle with this question because um, look, I'm not that I'm not a, I'm not someone that's really star-studded. Like I've got people that I you know look up to and so forth, but I don't really have anyone um, like who's a celebrity or so forth. And I don't know, that might sound a bit weird, but just no. to be brutally honest, there's no one out there. But um, I've got a before I left New Zealand. Um, I, when I grew up, there was a, a bunch of kids that went off went off the rails a little bit. And there's one guy um, that spent a long, long time in, in prison for various things. Who was my, pretty much my best mate. And I suppose with celebrities and with people that you know famous, you can always go into Google and find a lot about them and mm. find out, you know you know what they what they like and so forth and what you might want to learn off them. But you can pretty much go on Google and find that anyway. Whereas with this guy, and I won't say his name, but um, I've, I've never been able to sit down with him and, and, and have a chat with him about okay. what it's been like the last 20 years. So um, I would love to catch up with him for dinner one day, maybe when he's out, to sort yep. of see, um, you know, what his life's been like, which I guess, you know, has been pretty tough. So, yeah, mate, I'm just being honest. You know, yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. that. Yeah, yeah, I'd sit down with him and have a yarn and, and um, yeah, have a catch up. So. Unreal, mate. Unreal. Well, mate, thank you once again. It's been really, you know, from, from a fan, it's been cool, but also from a health and fitness perspective, it's really good to get insight into how professionals um, in rugby league trained, yeah. um, looked after themselves back in those days. And obviously you can clearly see the change and the shift in evolution of, of and the involvement of science into what it is today and how, how much more... Yeah. Um, I guess they they um, they look over you know the 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 the, um, the stats and the science and the GPS yeah. and the tracking and the loads and it's it's incredible you know it's to, to compare to what it is back then when like you said you know you just got to suck it up and do it whereas yeah. now um, yeah. you know if they look like they're getting burnt out or if they're, they're having a bad day they generally get an opportunity to rest or recover or their their weak shifts and so forth so yeah it it, it was really yeah. interesting. And I think the stats don't lie, do they? You know, so no. I guess now you could probably go, you know, really, really deep into into the statistics of it too. And yeah. I guess that's why they have the the bean counters up there now that do all that, and, and it's all probably programmed. And there's some form of app that they just throw all the data into. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting going back and having that, um, I suppose, insight to your to yourself. I guess, and it must be good as a player now to have that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, knowing what your strengths and your weaknesses are and what you need to work on. So Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, thanks once again, mate. I really appreciate your time today. No worries, mate. All the best. And, um, yeah, well done with your podcast. It looks like you're doing really well with it. So thanks for having me on, mate. I really appreciate it. Hopefully I um, gave you a little bit of insight to what used to happen. It was a long time ago, but, yep. um, yeah, there's a few stories there for you. So. No, nah, awesome, mate. Thank you so much. All right, I'd like to thank Jared for his time today. It was such a great chat. As a fan of the Canberra Raiders for so many years, um, it was great to get an insight into the inner workings of the, the team back in the 2000s. And obviously, a lot of the players he mentioned then I knew very, very well from a fan perspective. Uh, from a health and fitness perspective and a professional perspective, it was great to hear the insights, the inner workings of a professional team, what they did each day to get ready for a match. 
Um, obviously, the preseason component as well, and then a few other bits and pieces about um, the team camaraderie, you know, the the Mad Mondays and all that sort of stuff. It all goes to the inner workings of what was a successful franchise. So really, really exciting to have had that chat with Jared, and I do hope you enjoy it. Now, if you did enjoy the, the podcast, please jump across and share it on your stories. Please take myself at Paul's Body Engineering. If you're interested in my coaching services, please jump on paulsbodyengineering.com. And as I say to every client every single day, have a great day.